Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. This is episode number 91 and I'm Ryan McLeod and I'm joined by Neil Cooney this week. Yeah, been trying for a while to get him on the podcast and um, yeah, I'm happy to say that I finally um, managed to get him in front of the mic. And I mean, I suppose in some ways this week's podcast is a little bit self-indulgent. Um, but in other ways, it's uh, very much tied to sort of Neil's journey as we go through it. Yeah, I suppose it is difficult to put a title on exactly what Neil does. Um, and I suppose you'll learn a bit more about that as we go, go through it. But uh, one of the common themes in the, the bit of self-indulgence is, is definitely around trainers um, and sort of footwear. Um, I'm a bit of a trainer geek. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Neil would admit to that as well. Um, from the days where he imported um, sort of random uh, Japanese uh, sneaker zines in Glasgow um, to working with the guys uh, up in Hanon uh, in Aberdeen um, to generally just collecting them. And I think he says he's got 250 pairs in the garage or something like that. Um, And and that is like a a level above me for, for sure. But yeah, I mean, we also talk about his sort of uh, the reason he came to Dundee, which was to set up Borders Books, um, in the, the Gallagher Retail Park, and sort of how he built up a community around that, and how he still feels there might be a space um, in Dundee for an independent, um, especially looking at uh, the model of um, places such as Portobello uh, Bookstore that's done so well in the last year or so. Um, we talk about that. Um, also, his involvement in the sort of um, the early stages of uh, V&A sort of public consultations through to um, the bids, uh, business improvement districts. Um, and if you don't know what that is, you know, we'll explain all about it um, in the episode. And then he goes on to, uh, I mean, he became Mr. Trails, which he still is. Um, he's he worked on the Orwelly one and two, uh, the Maggie's Penguin Trail, and now uh, with Wild and Art, he's working sort of across the world on on different trails. Um, and we also sort of go into this this idea of I mean, how long can this model last? Um, how sustainable is it? Um, how repeatable is it? Um, how does the financial side of it work? Um, and that part's sort of really fascinating. But yeah, I'm an all round nice chat <laughs> um, I think I mentioned last week I definitely did mention last week um, that I need your questions there is a milestone episode coming up and I'm not a big fan of round numbers uh, I think we celebrate round numbers far too much so I'm going to do it on episode number 99 um, so 99 is going to be the big milestone episode for the podcast and I need your questions um, I'm going to do a bit of a, a sort of answering episode so ask me anything Um I mean, you probably want to make it related to the podcast, but I mean, if not, fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, ask me some questions and I will do a little bit of answering of them and maybe a bit of reflection on the past sort of 98 episodes of the podcast. But yeah, if you've got questions, and we'll probably do this over the next sort of four weeks, I'll gather them together and then put together an episode. Um, yeah, it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram if you want to ping me a message with a little question there. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, let's just get into the episode. So this is number 91 with Neil Cooney. So I, c- I came to Dundee in 2006 to open a bookshop called Borders Books. Um, I've been working for them for about 13 years. 
Um, started in 1998 in the Buchanan Street Glasgow store uh, by putting the books on the shelves and getting it all ready to open. And so worked for Borders in Glasgow, uh, in Auckland, in Sydney. Used it, it was an American firm, and so used it to my advantage in terms of travelling and experiencing new things. And um, you know, I was really, really passionate about books and about book selling. Um, I'd done my degree in Aberdeen at Robert Gordon's in publishing studies. Um, and so that was always going to be the route, uh, especially having done a work placement in uh, John Smith's in St. Vincent Street in Glasgow, which is the oldest English language bookshop in the world. Um, it's now about five guys. <laughs> um, and so I'd always been on that route. And so Glasgow was brilliant. Buchanan Street was brilliant. Big store, loads of books and uh, an American firm, which was quite an interesting concept at that point. Borders was um, the archetypal bookshop, coffee, magazines, lounge arounds, you know, read it, use it as a, as a facility. Um, but at one part or another, everybody rolled through that bookshop, so it was a really social place as well. And so in every, whenever a, a Borders Books would open, we would, um, there would be a sort, so they would invite other people from around, uh, from other border stores to descend on Bristol or Manchester or, or Liverpool. And uh, we would train the staff and put the books on the shelves and, and build everything up, make connections throughout the communities and send them on their way. Um, and so through that, got to see a lot of the country and got to experience a lot of different uh, different cities and towns. Um, we had uh, a lot of different things on the go. I, my passion at that point was magazines. So I ran the newsstand and was able to order in all sorts of esoteric magazines, uh, initially from America, because it was an American um, business. So we could get all sorts of mags from America. We, we'd get Sunday newspapers from Miami, from, from all, over the, all over the globe, New York Times. Um, and it was just really, it was really interesting to get involved in it and, and start bringing in football fanzines or um, folk would, would come in uh, starting off their magazines, whether that be Clash or whether that be, um, you know, we did a lot, a lot, we did a lot with the list. Um, and then I was able to start bringing in um, Japanese culture and Japanese trainer magazines uh, and sort out a lot of the cultural community in Glasgow at that point, whether it was the doorman and the sub club or or graphic designers who had an interest. Um, and so felt at that point, yeah, it was brilliant. It was just being able to, to provide that service to, to reach into subcultures and cultures and bring magazines or zines or, 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 or other documentation and put it in front of folk who'd never seen anything like it before. Uh, and really, really passionate about that and, and was able to articulate that and, and, and cultivate a clientele. Uh, all of which helped when, uh, when coming to Dundee to open the bookshop and um, we uh, we had a great space Do you know I think that was part of it I was working at at that point in Charing Cross Road in London the uh, traditional heart of British book selling and, uh, and was asked to come up and check out the Dundee store with uh, with my good friend uh, Dave Marshall who, who ran the Glasgow store at that point he was moving up to Dundee low expectations having grown up in Glasgow um, but like everyone else, uh, comes to Dundee, spent a short amount of time. I just thought, wow, this place is brilliant. And the bookshop itself 
was a phenomenal building. Um, it was where they built the uh, turbines and, and the engines for the Gurley Brothers uh, shipyard. Um, they'd taken the building down. It's now at Marks and Spencer's, if you, for everyone just to, to, to recognise where that building is. The one at the, the one at the back of the Olympia. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what happened was it was originally by the roadside, and they took it to bits. Turned it 180 degrees and built it. Do you know, like, how many hundred yards up up the, up the hill? Crazy. Uh, and so, uh, in terms of a, a a space with a with a history, of course, but just a, a lovely big space to spend your time. If you're working in a store, if you're there every day, brilliant, brilliant atmosphere and great environment. And uh, certainly one of the things that I think helped Borders do so well and, and be so successful. That and obviously having a Starbucks goes a long way. But um, within a chain of 48, um, the Dundee store quickly became the best in the UK, partly down to um, corporate and business sales. So we were very lucky being at the intersection of four or five local authorities. And so we were able to, so every library, social department, prison uh, in the area, uh, came to see us to get books. And, and really so, when, when you say best, is that just purely financial? A bit of both. I mean, certainly financial, but more reputation and, and, and customer. You know how, how well the customers take to it. But I think if you're being as blunt as that within the retail world, yeah, that's what they look for. And and we, and we did incredibly well. But I think it only tells half the story. And uh, I remember um, before we'd even opened the doors. We had uh, we had a very interesting visitor, uh, Anna Day, and Suzanne Kaminsky came to see us. And Anna was saying, "Look, I, I work at the university, and we're about to start a book festival. So, is this something that you you would be interested in?" Of course, it was. And so we we, we built that partnership with Anna and the university, um, supporting and hosting a lot of Dundee book festival work and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff with. Um, the University Saturday Evening Lecture Series, uh, and, and, and other than that, just hosting gigs and uh, putting on a lot of shows and book readings, and uh, I just tried to make it a, a kind of destination. Um, and just, yeah, such a good place. Like I say, everyone, everyone rode, rode past. Dundee effectively came to visit me uh, in that bookshop and so got a, real, a really good sense of the city very quickly. Uh, and settled in incredibly well, and so it made it all the more uh, disheartening when when we felt that Borders was going to be wrapping up uh, as a chain. Um, as I was saying, you know, they had branches in, in Preston, in um, in retail parks, in the main across the UK, and while Dundee was doing great, and, and the Scottish stores were doing great, generally through supporting Scottish publishing. And uh, and a lot of kind of uh, you know a lot of Scottish publishers do incredible stuff and and I think we were at an advantage having that really strong Scottish stuff compared to those in in, in, in Middle England or or elsewhere and so the Scottish stores were quite robust they were doing really well but the other stores weren't and ultimately that's what led to the demise of of Borders Books and uh, going into administration was a bit of an eye opener going through that process. Um, you know, helping the staff through that through that period, um, and generally feeling you know a lot of support from from the general public, 
but just had a feeling from them that you know once this goes, there's not going to be anything like any, anything else like it, uh, which was a shame. So, um, so yeah, borders wrapped up, uh, but it st still felt you know the that staying and still still really wanted to stay in the city. And so just uh, maybe to touch on like bookstores in, in general, mm, yep, I suppose. Yep. Um, and we'll probably come on to talk more about the the high street in general later on mm. with uh, the other stuff you've been involved in. Yeah. But, I mean, in, in terms of bookstores, and you talk about this as a sort of community space, essentially, that mm. the people get more from it just than going to purchase a book or purchase a coffee. It, it's more about the atmosphere that you create, the people that you meet, the, yep. the, the amazing range of stuff that's there. Um, that whole experience around it. So, I mean... The, for you, I mean, I don't know how your relationship with bookshops has changed since you've left Borders. Yeah, good point. Um, but f for you, what? Like, how do we make bookstores work? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, it's exactly that. I mean, it is. I think whether it's a bookstore, whether it's a it's a niche clothing store, or if if you're doing other other elements, um, it is about creating a, a great environment and about cultivating cultivating a customer base and making that experience for them memorable and so where we were fortunate and, and specifically to books was that um, uh, you know not not everyone that comes in you need to um, turn into a transaction it is about having a blether and being passionate and I think if you're if you're being able if you're if you're passionate about that product and if you're really really into it then that will translate if they don't buy something the first time around, they'll maybe come back another time or they'll tell their friends. Um, I think the design of the space is also quite important. Um, again, that'll apply across retail, but but when I think of um, my favourite independent bookshops, invariably there's a there's something you know unique or or um, original within that space, whether that's the, the way the shelves have been put together or just the general atmosphere, um, or the or the or the black books style individual behind the counter if there's something memorable and there's something just, just really nice about it then i think you know that'll help um the range i think it's more of a curation one of the things that borders did was we had everything practically um now the way you curate that to, to pull the interesting stuff out was important i think within an within an independent where you can't afford to have everything on the shelves it's how you create it and knowing your audience and knowing your 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 um you know whether it's um, knowing your environment, so yeah, there's a lot that can be done. There, there are some great examples, and, and and one of my favourites at the moment is the Portobello Bookshop in Edinburgh, and it does all of those things that I've just mentioned and more in terms of design, in terms of style, in terms of having a blether, um, and uh, and from what I've been hearing, you know, it's, they've been doing really well. It's been a great first year. A lot of uh, hardback fiction going off the shelves, which perhaps wouldn't you know you wouldn't imagine really. Um, but I definitely think, I mean, there's certainly scope for, for an indie in Dundee. Um, that's laid at me a lot when folk are talking about what to do next. You know, you'd be, you'd be the guy to run an independent bookshop. Perhaps, perhaps I know a little bit too much about it to, to do that. But no, I think that's, uh, and, and actually Watersons have been doing pretty well, you know, by virtue of being last man standing, but within that, within the space and, and within that team, you know, I think they do a great job. Um, so still, still, still really passionate about it. I still consider myself a bookseller. It's just I've gone on to do different things in the meantime. Um, so yeah, I think I think 
I'd love to see a really good indie in Dundee. Around the time of V8 Dundee uh, uh, being proposed um, in South Kensington, they'd opened a, a cool wee V8 offshoot, um, dif- distant from the museum, but but really well curated. And admittedly, it was South Kensington, so they also, rather than coffee, had champagne. And, you know, it was that. But what they were trying to get that atmosphere where people would come and chill and spend a bit of time. So yeah, big advocate of that. So after that, obviously a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, where where did you go from there? What do you do if that yeah. sort of been blown apart? And yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, you're kind of left going. The the obvious or the automatic or the instinctive would be a, another bookshop chain, or, or 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 a lot of my colleagues uh, ended up at at Apple. Um, but it's interesting, and, and just one last thing. There was hundreds and hundreds of passionate booksellers working for Borders. But ultimately, one of the biggest tragedies of it all was that that experience and knowledge and passion was lost to the industry. So there weren't any automatic routes. There's not loads of bookshops around that you can easily step into. So I think that was quite sad to to, to lose that. Um, but from my own point of view, again, I was lucky whereby the relationship I had with the university uh, and with the... with uh, Leanne and Anna Day uh, in external relations. They were saying, well, look, we've got the book, the book festival coming up. Come and help us out with that. And so I was able to, to do a spell uh, in external relations um, with the book festival, with the Saturday evening lecture series and, and some, some graduation bits and pieces. Um, and in, in working in that, in that space, um, uh, the, yeah, there was an event for the very first was a consultation almost event on this museum idea that was being proposed for Dundee. Uh, and so I went along to that and um, I went and spoke to a gentleman called Graham McKee, part of the university, and said, you know, I've just finished with Borders, um, a bit of experience in sales and, and marketing and, and, and sort of public communication. Um, if there's anything you need uh, doing for, the, for V&A at Dundee, I'd love to volunteer my time. And so he'd said, no, that's great, really good. Uh, give us your CV, you know, talk, talked a bit about it and uh, pointed me in the direction of, uh, of Scottish Enterprise. I spoke to a lady at Scottish Enterprise briefly and she'd said, right, brilliant, you're in. We don't really have anyone working on, on the project. There's a few folk in, uh, at the university, um, but yeah, we need, we need some bodies involved. Can you help us out? So um, it started uh, a couple of years stint at V8 and D at its very inception. Um, with a, a, I say there wasn't really too many bodies involved, but a, a really strong team grew around that. And whether it's Georgina Follett at, at the university, um, Tara Wainwright, Leanne Wallace, we were um, uh, Andy and Louise, Andy Rice and Louise Valentine uh, were tasked with creating a an exhibition for the various um, architectural sub- submissions in this architectural competition that was open uh, uh, for Viennet and D. And so we put that on at Aberty Library, invited the public to come along. We had these huge architectural models from Deleuze and Mysol, from Kengo Kuma, uh, uh, and set them all up. And it was, it was just very surreal. It was just, you know, we, we, were, we believed in the project, but still couldn't quite grasp uh, quite what it meant. And so as much as it was our jobs at that point to speak to the general public coming in, 
and talking about this this museum proposal and what it might mean for the city and uh, it was it was still quite difficult to wrap your head around it even though you had all it was probably made all the more surreal by having these bizarre models and really far-fetched yet architecturally significant uh, ideas from all across the world uh, being set up in Dundee and so it was a successful exhibition um, the public had their say sort of uh, in as much as, um, I could probably could probably say this now, but uh, Kengo Kuma wasn't the first choice by Dundee's public. Oh. Uh, it was the Bluebell design, and uh, um, the feeling was though it was it was maybe going to be a bit difficult to deliver, but also it looked incredibly like the Belfast Titanic Museum, kind of inverted pyramids kind of thing, and so um, uh, Kengo Kuma's was selected. And we took that exhibition on tour throughout Scotland, uh, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Holyrood, um, down to um, down to South Kensington, uh, and continued to do a lot of a lot of kind of public facing um, communication work around the proposal. Uh, I go into a variety of different um, different events. Um, I just spread the words, and it was interesting at that point. Um, Without this was pre Phil Long, and pre a really big strategy and, and, and a real di- bit of direction. Uh, with the best will in the world, you know, we we were we were kind of doing um, doing the basics, but knew that at some point or another someone needed to come along and really take the bull by the horns and just drag it in, in that direction. Um, and so worked closely with Tara. Wainwright, who was involved and did a lot of public-facing stuff, uh, did the, the Cecil Beaton exhibition um, at McManus, uh, and, and then the, the, the team started fleshing out, uh, um, particularly in the fundraising direction. And so it, it became quite apparent that um, the, the kind of public-facing stuff was, was falling to, to one side, but the real focus was fundraising. And with the best one in the world, despite what I've been doing of late, uh, really didn't really out of my out of my league. In fact, you know, I can be pretty honest and say the whole experience working at B and A or for B and A at Dundee, it was really I was so out of my depth with with, with most of it, and so um, really lucky to have been involved and, and learned a lot. Um, I, I did a lot of great stuff and just felt, you know, proud to be part of it all. All the while realizing that at some point or another I'm going to get found out, or at some point or another, in order for this project to go the way it needs to go, you know, you need to get some people in that have that are far more experienced in this world than I ever was. So um, it was almost a bit of a relief when uh, when I um, when I moved on. You know, I think I, I look back and go, you know, if I st- I could have stepped up, um, conceivably. Such as the way you know you look back and go, if I if I knew then what I know now, conceivably it'd be a different story. But but there was almost a, a, an element of relief to, to move out. Um, I think there's that like I, I talked about this a lot on the podcast with like many different people about mm-hmm. this edging out of your comfort zone, um, and I think that is often a healthy place to be. But you can't live there permanently. Like yeah, it's not yeah. if you yeah it will breed anxiety and stress mm-hmm. and. I think recognizing that point was which you were right, okay, well, yeah, I've had this experience, but now it's time. 
Um, I think that's a healthy, a healthy thing to do. And you, obviously, looking back, you do learn a lot from that. Yeah, and maybe looking back, you you learn more than you realise at the time. Yeah, absolutely, and and not necessarily in areas that are strictly speaking part of your role or part of that that kind of um, professional element. I mean, a lot of it was was being really nervous working around such high level people, and whether that's you know Phil or whether that's Mike Galloway or Stuart Murdoch or you know that um, that board level, that kind of strategic level. I was always really quite anxious and, and just kind of kept myself to myself. And um, as things have progressed, I mean, I can look back on that and go, right, you know, I think a bit more comfortable with, with that type of thing now. But it is all just part of the part of the learning. And so um, really proud. And, you know, I'm a patron of, of V&A. I go there all the time. Really proud of that, that museum and where they've gone and, and incredibly, you know, stoked for Tara uh, it's, and, you know, to have been there and Diane Milton. To have been there at the very beginning and to still be seeing it through and yeah, brilliant, absolutely great. So what was the next step beyond that then? Yeah, so um, if there's something that comes out of this, you know, it's to reiterate, I, I volunteered, just stuck my hand in the air for, for V&A at Dundee and said, look, if you need any help, I, I can do that. And it grew into something more. And so similarly, uh, in Aberdeen, I, um, uh, through a contact, uh, knew about um, a business improvement district that was just beginning up there uh, and similarly got in touch with them and said, look, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come and work on a voluntary basis. So to help me wrap my head around what a bid is uh, and obviously to help you, you know, in any way, shape or form. And so I started off working there, uh, travelling up and down. So so a business improvement district quickly is, um, it's a, um, I've not done this for a while, it's a, <laughs> A bid is when um, a, a group of businesses in a particular area uh, take forward a proposal to improve the, 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 a number of different things and the funding from it comes from the business se sector itself. And so what will happen is that a, um, a group of businesses engage a consultant, they'll go out and speak to all the businesses in the area and get an understanding of their priorities. Um, they'll create a business plan that will look at um, projects, proposals, ideas, connections, funding that can be, uh, that can um, look at those issues. Uh, whether that's the cleansing of it, whether that's the marketing of it, whether it's um, making it you know, look more attractive, it can be low level things like seagulls and pigeons, it could be really high strategic things uh, like capital projects and um, looking at the, 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 the uh, streetscape. And what will happen is there'll be a lot of back and forth with this proposal till everyone's happy with it. And then it, it goes out as a, um, as a document to all the businesses in the area and they vote. And they vote on whether they want this bid to go ahead. If the bid goes ahead, each business has to pay a levy into this pot. It's usually linked to the rateable value. If more people vote for it than against it, the bid goes ahead and for a five-year term on an annual basis, businesses will pay anything from a couple hundred quid to a thousand quid into this kitty and it's used to deliver those projects. So that happened in Aberdeen and, and, and it had been voted in successfully. 400 businesses generating £750,000 a year, topped up to a million by the oil sector and uh, a, a, a mandate, this is what we need to deliver. And so uh, I'd got involved and very quickly found out that the, that the bids um, like a lot of kind of 
smaller agencies, you're doing a little bit of everything. So I was there ostensibly to look at the Marcoms, um, but 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 quickly got involved in a lot in some of the projects as well. And so when you've got 450 businesses, um, it's very much about engagement and and using all sorts of different channels to do that. Fundamental to that being face to face and going to speak to folk, but obviously it's the dissemination of this is what we're doing with your money, it's working. If you've got an opinion, come and see us. Um, and so a lot of two-way comms, a lot of, uh, a lot of meetings, um, but ultimately a lot of thinking about what we can do to improve this city. And I'll joke and say, if we'd taken a million quid and just cleaned the granite on Union Street, it would have been easier and folk would have been happier than, uh, than, than looking at a lot of the other projects. Um, it was an interesting one. It got me into the idea of placemaking and how you're looking at a city and looking at the residents uh, and driving footfall, um, looking at how you're translating that footfall in sales or again, when you're looking at Aberdeen and it's 400 businesses, that could be anything from um, cultural sector, Aberdeen performing arts or a lot of hotels, retail fundamentally. Um, but even within that, you've got independents, you've got multinationals, uh, office sector, oil sector, energy sector. I mean, it's such a such a, a, a differing audience, and it's um, you know, and, and the communication needs to be fairly constant because um, bids last for five years, and you go back to your electorate and say, look, all that stuff that we promised you at the beginning, we've delivered it. If you want us to continue to do this, then vote us back in. Um, otherwise, you know, you've got you've got every every reason for voting no or for, for, for stopping it. Um, and the last thing you want to do is at the end of year five, turn up and go, uh, we've, we've taken the chewing gum off the streets or we've done a Christmas parade or, you know, so it's, it's really being strategic and looking at how you can make the money work cleverly, um, look at how you can use match funding, um, but look at strategically what, what your city needs. So... The work that you, you did in Aberdeen on the bid it yep. sort of led to a bit more of a trend through the next few years and the other projects that you worked on that you moved on to. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. Not a realm I would have ever expected myself to have strolled into, but you're right, it certainly influenced everything else from being uh, invited down to Dundee to, to, to deliver a, a similar bid proposal, um, which did, did that for a few years, Um Went to ballot, didn't go ahead, um, but but a great uh, a great learning experience there. So I mean, like in the, in the context of Dundee, why why do you think it didn't it, it didn't catch? Yeah, um, it wasn't because of any desire for it. I think it was more the balance between multinationals and independents, and where the independent businesses in Dundee were in the main positive and voted for it and we're really keen to see it happen um the multinationals which we knew generally um have a policy of yes or no and you kind of get a sense of who the no's are and who the yeses are and it makes absolute sense because you know if there's 250 bids across the uk and they're all having to kick the tin for each of them you can understand why they have that stance um but uh, the indies voted yes the multinationals voted no one of the larger uh, stakeholders was 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 looking positive up until the eleventh hour and then abstained, and so that that kind of meant that 
Um, despite all our calculations, it didn't go ahead very narrowly. We got more vo more votes than more yeses than noes, but we didn't have the uh, overall rateable value that we needed. Um, but a great experience. I mean, it's not in your professional life. You don't often have to put on a legally binding ballot. Really, you know, really quite strange. But um, one of the uh, in entering that placemaking world and, and going to a lot of conferences and, and, and going to a lot of meetings, whether it's the um, Association of Town and Centre Management meetings or, 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 or bid equivalents, um, I was beginning to see and have interactions with a, a company called Wild and Art. Um, they were at these events um, uh, talking about what they did and how they helped invigorate cities and how they, they really wanted to get involved in that. So when... Um, when Archie Foundation came to see me and said, look, we're, we're doing a campaign in Dundee with um, Urwilly Sculptures. Uh, we need someone who knows the city. They were trying to do it remotely from Aberdeen, but felt they needed someone who knew, who knew the business sector and the cultural sector in Dundee and came to see me. And so because I'd kind of heard about this before, it wasn't as random sounding as it could have been. Uh, and so... Um, yeah, the, the bid had, come, had run its course, and so again, in, in a, I was quite fortunate that this came along at the right time, and so picked up the baton and um, started contacting businesses across Dundee, telling them about the Urwilly Bucket Trail, and uh, it involved sort of fifty to sixty six-foot sculptures of Urwilly. Uh, they were all going to be different colours. We needed you to sponsor this to the tune of £6,000. And, oh, no, 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 you don't own it. If you want to keep it, you've got to turn up at an auction, you know, uh, 12 weeks later and, and spend even more money on it. And so, yeah, as you can imagine, it was a fairly mixed response from that one. Um, but thankfully, uh, there was enough folk that recognised it. Um, we had great support from the, from the uh, cultural and creative community. When it was originally pitched, there were concerns about, you know, about where were the artists getting paid, where did the copyright lie, um, you know, like things like that. that I think um, certainly raised question marks about it. I, I had those questions myself, but but certainly realised that no artists got paid eight hundred quid more and retained all copyright to to their work, um, and so we pressed on with it uh, and. Um, yeah, took me down a lane I didn't expect. Yeah, um, but yeah, Bucket Trail One, as we call it, um, uh, had um, very quickly had a colleague, uh, Suzanne Scott, join join the team along with the, the kind of core Archie people, and uh, and we set out and, and did I think did pretty well with it. Uh, similar to VNA and D, you're out there. You know, bigging it up. This this is going to be amazing. You know, you're going to be absolutely. It's going to be uh, the public are going to take to it. Your your business is going to get X amount of exposure. We're going to raise loads of money for charity. You know, when these things hit the streets, folk are going to go bananas. Uh, not necessarily believing it. No, well, believing it, but not quite to the to the heights. Never expecting it would reach the heights that it did. Um, but it quickly became evident that this was, again, another really random um, project and, and, and no two days were similar and you know, you're talking 
fiberglass sculptures and designs one minute and then you're talking about the concrete plinths and the operational side of it um, having to raise a certain amount of money to make it happen um, but I think like 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 a lot of the other projects and what I was beginning to see were, were strengths was an element of organisation but certainly an element of storytelling and an element of taking a sometimes complex proposal and taking it out to the business sector or the cultural sector looking at stakeholders and and talking about it clearly and being able to explain all the nuances and explain all the different elements um, and doing it passionately enough that, that folk buy in and gaining people's buy in, whether that's literal in terms of writing checks or whether it was it was um, taking the local authorities and, and the planning departments on, along for the ride or having to do a lot of things, um, gift in kind or, or, or asking favours from people it just it seemed to be clicking. Uh, again, it helps when, you, when you've got a cartoon character to uh, to kind of help with the help people make that leap. And one of the things that I learned then, which helps a lot now, is just lifting the veil behind a lot of third sector and working with a lot of charities. Um, using Scotland's favourite son to raise money for a, a children's hospital charity worked really well. But it's about really knowing where the money would go. Uh, to the twin operating theatre and really buying into what Archie in that instance were doing because when you're out there telling the story, it's always important to come back to why you're doing it. And, and that was, you know, that, that helped a, a great deal. And I mean, there was, there's so many factors that aligned with it to make it um, work so well. It's obviously like it's, it's in the summertime. It's a great activity to get out and about and explore and maybe go to places that you've never thought of going or had any reason to go to that are right in the city that you live in. Um, and it, yeah, it's this sort of gamifying, ticking off the things off the list. And then yeah. there's that reason for people to get involved. And then there's the excitement around the auction element of it and then ultimately raising a crazy amount of money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, it was you're you're so right in terms of it being a bit of a, per, a perfect storm. Um, it was Scotland's year of innovation, architecture, and design, so so kind of fitted quite well there. The idea that that v at Dundee was still on the horizon more or less, but this idea of design and and it you know it not being for us, um, in terms of some some of the outreaches of Dundee, we were able to get everyone involved, any social strata. Um, it was a free event, which was important. We got cross-generation with grand grandparents taking their grandkids out. We got all sorts of people involved in it, and 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 it was a, it was ultimately you know revolved around art and design, and it was putting it on the streets, which was great. And it was only perhaps a little bit later down the line that I'd, I'd appreciated the history of public art in Dundee, and uh, been to see Matthew Jaron uh, at the university speak about this. He's got his um, Dundee public art. Um, Facebook page, he's got the exhibition at the Lambs Gallery. Again, a giant floating brain of information. Matthew's amazing. But, but you know, there's more than 500 pieces of public art in Dundee at the moment. Um, and whether that's the, the, the Desperate Dan statue or if it's mosaics in, in, in the street, um, Dundee had a, a public art programme running from 1982 to 2003. It was, the, it was the first in Scotland. It was the biggest in Scotland. And so I can now, you know, look at... Perhaps one of the reasons that it was so well received in Dundee was, you know, because the public are, are used to even if subliminally having public art around and having this legacy of public art in the city. And so uh, great that we had um, Tony Morrow do, do a sculpture. He did Desperate Dan and the Dragon. So there was all sorts of lovely narratives kind of being woven through all this. 
Um, and so, auction-wise, never to be repeated. I don't think it was an absolute one-off and an electric night, but a great legacy for the charity. And I think it says a lot that we moved on to another sculpture trail so quickly. So uh, a year's breather, and then it was Maggie's and the Penguin Parade. Um, and I took a small amount of satisfaction in that Maggie's um, went out and got 80 sponsors almost immediately. And more than half of those sponsors were folk that had initially said no to me. Oh, nah, I don't really, nah, it's not for us, or don't really get it. I mean, the, the, the impact of it and the way that it uh, kind of mobilised the city, the penny dropped for a lot of businesses and, and, it, and it helped Maggie's um, do their campaign, moving away from the character, um, using their, their penguin, and again, it, it just worked so well. One of the things I'm proudest about with the Penguin Parade was the education programme that went alongside it. Um, it was Scotland's Year of Young People, and so really wanted to, to do something quite prominent. And so um, we went out and fundraised and through various grants and applications, um, in particular Dundee's um, Community Regeneration Fund that exists in each of the wards. Um, we were able to apply for, for enough funding to ensure that um, every primary school, secondary school, um, care home, um, and a further 40 community groups in Dundee managed to receive a curriculum-linked education pack and their own sort of metre-high penguin that they would design and paint their own, do a bit of learning, worked with them. Um, Edinburgh Zoo on, on, a, on a lot of learning around that, worked with uh, an Arctic explorer, worked with the, um, we were able to send classes to the aquarium in St Andrews to visit penguins. And so did this really big um, program. Uh, it's probably the largest community, community art program, program in Dundee for a long time, since Witch's Blood, let's say. Um, I just got, got everyone involved and it was great working in the communities and going out into, into the different parts of Dundee. I'd just seen the reaction and it was brilliant and it just ties it all really well into the, to the Maggie's larger programme, a bit of pester power, but the idea that, that kids can create something themselves and then see it out there on the streets and see it connected to, to this larger campaign. So I was absolutely stoked on, on, on that part of it. Um, and so obviously we, we had Urwilly 1, and the penguins. Yep. Then we've had Urwilly too. Urwilly too. Yeah. And then uh, I know you're working on other trails as well. As, as yeah. going forward, it's yeah. like well, the 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 model the model works, um, and it raises amazing money for charity, mm. and it provides us like real focal point in the summer. But how long can we sustain yeah. that model for? How many trails? How long can we keep going back to reiterating it or, yeah. or developing that or? Yeah, know. good point. Yeah, it's kind of difficult to tell. I know cities like Norwich, have, they'll do it sort of every year practically, and it's it's just part of the program. But um, because it's a commercial thing, you do need to go back to people a lot. You know, there's only so many times in a city of Dundee, for example, that you can go back and do that. Um, it needn't necessarily be a city-wide thing, or indeed, as it was with the Bucket Drill too, a, a national program. It could be something quite neat and, you know, I like the idea of maybe just looking at the education part of it and, and using these crazy different sculptures that we have 
to do uh, uh, something that focuses on reading or something that focuses on sustainability and, and something being a little bit a bit lower key. Um, um, beyond that, uh, looking at perhaps corporate, you know, we've had a few different approaches from from uh, from national agencies to, to do something a little bit closer to home and, and revolve it just around them. But I think the principles will always be there. I think you're right when you say this kind of game of the, the tracking things down, the seeing the different arts. Um, I think that can exist without it necessarily being a wild and art thing. I think we could probably do something perhaps a little bit more bespoke to Dundee that doesn't need all the the bells and whistles and particularly funding that, that the larger ones do. So I think the idea of there being culture on the street, art in the streets, encouraging people to go and, and, and do it, it needn't be a, a large scale trail like these. In terms of the, the, the viability for wild and art and what we do, um, I mean, it's the, we've got, we'll do about 12 a year in the UK and uh, Pacific Rim. So we've got events in, in Auckland and uh, uh, Melbourne um, coming up. Um, as well as across across England, um, looking in the northeast of Scotland, as we've got the lighthouses at the moment, again something in Murray or something in Inverness. You know, I think you can really do that. But it, you're right; the, the desire's got to be there. And so you've obviously talked about a lot of different projects, and you've sort of diversified from from borders to where you are now. Um, but there's definitely you can draw a lot of commonality, and a lot of the stuff that you've been doing throughout has been focused around community and about providing those sort of experiences for the community. Um, but there's a question I've been asking a lot of people sort of recently on the podcast is where where do you feel that your expertise lies? Yeah, it's a question I ask myself quite a bit. You know, it's certainly being being uh, self-employed and, and looking at what what's around the corner. Um, but fundamentally, you know, it's taking ideas, um, imparting them passionately, um, articulately, uh, and and whether that's working within the UNESCO framework that, that with Annie Mars and, and and working across um, that side of things as as we did with the Dundee 2023 project as part of that team, uh, I still think there's a lot of scope for 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 really exciting stuff to happen in in Dundee, and would love you know one way or the other to be part of it. Uh, I'm working on. Uh, with the bid in St Andrews at the moment. And so a return to the kind of bid world or looking at placemaking and perhaps looking at um, picking up the work from from that bid proposal. You know, that's uh, we, we had a lot of great ideas for the city and, and none of them really have, have come to fruition. So there's definitely scope for doing something tangible to support a thriving Dundee city centre. Um, and that And that's... You know, that that requirement hasn't gone away since then. It's only really grown, and, and, and so if we can, if I can apply any of the skills that I've picked up since then um, to help the city thrive, to look at the the the, the physical um, and the reputational within Dundee City Centre, uh, I'd love to be able to do that because I think what, through one way or the other, each role I've had since arriving in the city has kind of looked at that. You know, certainly not by design, absolutely by accident. But uh, I'd love to continue to do that. So now I want to move on to someone that's, uh, I suppose, a little bit self-indulgent. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I, I know that you're a big fan of trainers. Yeah. So yeah. I felt it would be rude not to 
to spend a bit of time chatting about though. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, do, 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 is there enough chat about <laughs> trainers across the airwaves? I'm not sure. But, yeah. um, but I suppose, um, like, where does, where did your love of, of trainers come from? Where did that, where did that start? I know you talked about this, the at Borders bringing in those publications, yeah, those sort of it. niche. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's good. Oh, it'll come from skateboarding. So I've been skateboarding for 32 years now. Started in the early 80s and um, and through through skateboarding, through um, whether it's Airwalks or Jordans or Vision Streetwear, you would buy your, buy, your, buy your skate shoes and then wreck them and then buy another pair. And um, that kind of idea of, of firstly um, frequently buying and changing shoes, but also being... Uh, being very much in the firing line for lots and lots of advertising to encourage you to buy the new, the new Airwalker, the new Vision. Um, I think that's fundamentally where it came from. And then going through um, a skateboarding, did a, a bunch of different changes where you weren't buying massive shoes. You were actually going out and buying Adidas Gazelles or you were particularly Sheltos and Superstars and skating in them. Um, uh, that, that was really where it came from. I worked in a store in Aberdeen called Street Threads. It's now called Hanon. And those guys, um, were, we, we were real, really into trainers at that point. And they would maybe get in, I remember getting in a pair of French-made uh, Run DMC Ultrastar Sheltos from the 80s and going, wow, these are just unbelievable. Around that time, uh, DC Skate Shoes launched. It's a really big thing. Um, and we were... We were selling Supreme and selling Bathing Ape before it even before it became a, a bigger thing, but we're always looking at bringing in trainers. So absolutely, that's where it stemmed from: skateboarding, and then through skateboarding, finding this kind of streetwear scene. Um, I look back and just wish I'd kept so many of those those shoes from that era. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, I, I I don't collect, not a collector really. But I do get a lot of shoes and I wear a lot of different shoes and have a really, really into it. Yeah, I think I've, I'm not what you would term a sneakerhead. No. Like I, I couldn't sit them in a box and put them in a room and keep them. I, yeah, I'm not a collector. Yeah. I, I, I want to wear them. That's that's where the joy comes for me. Is, is like and, and as you say, like having that variety and having lots of different shoes, but yep. um, yeah, never keeping them like hidden away. Nah, I know that's it absolutely or wrapped um, in wrapped shrink wrapped in oh, yeah. film that's yeah it. I know I think that's that's where the I think that's the tipping point really and it was quite an organic thing and you know you pick up um, shoes that perhaps you had your eye on for a long time or um, certainly during that era there was a lot of innovation a lot of really new stuff coming out whether that was Nike ACG a lot of the Air Max stuff um, and yeah you'd pick it up uh because it was new and it was different uh, and, and wear it. Whereas I think a lot, no doubt about it, now it's a collector thing and it's also uh, this kind of idea of reselling on eBay or, or, or StockX or whatever platform, you're doing it to make money. You might be, you know, you're still into trainers, you're still, you know, rocking a, a pair yourself, but it's really there to make money. And I think like a lot of old boys, you can come across being quite dismissive of it, but sour. Um, but it's definitely changed, changed the way... Um, the trainer world is but you know you can't get away from the idea that a, a brand new pair 
a new release or a new uh, a new shade or just a completely different shoe, you know, it gets the heart going. You know, we've got to have that one way or the other. Uh, but now long enough in the tooth to not stand in a queue or to not um, buying for ridiculous sums. If you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, it's fine. Move on. Yeah, I don't think I've ever. I've never been into the uh, paying hundreds and hundreds of pounds for a, for a single shoe. I think it's. Yeah that's not what it's about it's not for me it's not necessarily about finding the rarest of rare one-offs it's about finding a shoe that you love that you're into yeah absolutely yeah that's it um again i'm lucky my friends uh brian and ed toft uh at hanon uh they're lucky whereby they work with adidas work with adidas they make their own uh, adidas shoes work closely with new balance and new balance in cumbria so invariably when when those guys drop a shoe I'll hit them up and uh, they'll put a pair aside for me. Um, and so a lot of what I have are, are, are Hanon, New Balance, um, Scottish design. Um, there's always a, a story, a narrative behind it. And I just think those guys don't get the credit. You know, they're, they're repping Scotland globally in what, and, and are hugely respected in what they do and an international brand all out of Aberdeen, on the, you know, on the green in Aberdeen. And so um, they, they do great stuff. Um, I, I really like now where, where some folk are going in that it's now smaller brands are able to um, do hand make small, small runs. And so Hanon worked with a company in, in the Black Forest in Germany to do a handmade edition of 100 shoes. And it's brilliant. You know, you, you can put them on and, and know that it's fairly unique. Uh, skateboarders will tell you a lot that once, once upon a time you would walk down the street and you'd see someone with a pair of airwalks or with a pair of vans on and immediately clock them as skaters and they'd look at you and you'd look at them and you know you were there was that brotherhood whereas it's interesting now because sneakers and, and trainers are everywhere everybody's into them everyone recognizes that you know um whether it's yeezys or sheltos or air max 90s folk are really into it and it is everywhere now and so the genie's out the bottle and and you know, as someone that's been in and around it for 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 such a long time, um, it's actually quite a relief. There's no way you can keep up with all that. There's no way if you, for all the hours spent searching or pounds spent, you're just never going to get near it. And so the pressure's off. And like you were saying, it's it's picking a shoe that you love, that you're really into, and that, and that um, as opposed to reaching for any crazy grail. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think we you sort of see these waves and trends coming through, and at the moment we're in the the sort of the grips of the nineties big fat, and in my opinion, <laughs> yeah. like just horrible trainers that should never yeah. have been brought back. Um, there's some absolute monstrosities out yeah. there at the yeah. moment, um, but it's funny seeing that because we kind of before that it was a bit of an eighties surge and gazelles sort of came back for a mm. while, and uh, yeah, it's funny to see how these like waves come through and these trends just just pull. Yeah things yeah. up from the archives and, and yeah, re-release them. Like. Yeah, I think we're lucky in Dundee. Um, we've got a lot of really really good uh, trainer heads. So Will, Scott Wilson that runs Manifesto, I mean, he is, he's got some amazing stuff. Um, I, w I was speaking just a moment ago about uh, um, Dundee Soul at the bottom of Hilltown. So this is a, a young guy who um, cleans, repairs, uh, personalises uh, uh, different Old, old shoes. I mean, he can reach back into the to the seventies and eighties and fix knackered old uh, uh, Adidas. 
Um, but I just love the idea that he's got his own wee shop in the hill town and, and you know, the, the, the folk that come in and out aren't aren't necessarily who you, you would recognise as trainer heads, just guys that just love their shoes and that go in and have a blather. Um, so so there's a new generation coming through and, and it's uh, uh, it's interesting to see, but you know, you'll know you never get me in a pair of Kanye Wests or, or Adidas Boosts. I'm, it's just I'm not a generation, do you know, I'm... I'm, I'm so, I mean, just before we, we sort of wrap up, mm. um, for me, I'll see a pair of trainers or I'll have a pair of trainers and it'll represent like maybe a, a time period or like it'll really pull back a memory. And uh, are there a specific pair or a couple of pairs that you like distinctly remember from like periods in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and And again, it's one of those ones, again, when I say... I, I need to wear them because again it brings back so many different memories I've got a pair of Nike Vandals that I bought um, in San Francisco uh, from Huff from Keith Huff Huffnagall himself I just remember rapping with him about, about skateboarding and about, about California and that's that, that's where the memories are um, so partly to do with this, the shoe itself and, and you know the, what, what that means whether it's shell toes and hip hop or gazelles and skateboarding but the, where I picked them up from Again, pre-internet, going to New York, um, getting a pair of, of, of dunks in an exclusive colorway. It's, it's the experience um, of doing it and of traveling and of meeting people in that shared community um, that, that, that any time I, I slip on a pair, I, I can remember it. So while there's you know, 250 pairs in the garage, each one of them I'll be able to, to recognize and, and remember where, where it got, got them from or that period in my life or you know wh where I've worn them to, and so yeah, some phenomenal memories. But um, one of the things that, that I'll, I'll uh, compare to skateboarding is that is that sense of community, um, and again, cross generational. You know, you can have a chat with young with kids about it. You can have a chat with old guys about it, and uh, often be surprised by who's into it. You know, it's good. Yeah, and uh, so I'll end the tangent there. Uh, but <laughs> well yeah, done, just, kids. What have you uh, got on today, anyway? <laughs> um, Blazers. Today they are, yeah. yeah, have you got anything that you would recommend that you've been watching, listening to, reading recently? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll start the day. Uh, there's a, an internet radio station called NTS uh, out of Dalston in London, and they've got a breakfast show with a guy called Charlie Bones. It's called the Do You Breakfast Show. And uh, and it's yeah it's really good. I recommend it. There's a chat there's a chat room that goes with it. I mean you can easily lose your morning within this. But uh, Charlie's good. He's really funny. Uh, could be a bit political sometimes, but generally plays some really good music early in the morning. So uh, NTS. Um, in terms of podcasts, uh, there's one called The Business of Hype by a guy called Jeff Staple. Terrible name, but uh, he'll interview a lot of guys and kind of entrepreneurs and designers uh, in the in the kind of streetwear, but mostly sneaker industry. So he, he'll speak to the guys that design Adidas and Puma and a lot of the marketeers. So the, I really recommend that. Um, what else? Uh, I'm reading a book. This is weird. So the first ever book I bought at Borders in 98 was uh, called Easy Riders Raging Bulls. It's about 70s. Uh, film the 70s film era and talk, spoke about Coppola and um, Scorsese and, and Bob Evans and 
uh, all these guys, but I'd never read it. It was huge. It was like a big book. And I, for whatever reason, I never got around to reading it. Uh, so I've been, I've start, I started that a few weeks ago and I'm kind of working my way through it. So um, getting back into watching old 70s uh, kind of paranoia movies, like The Conversation and, and doing a lot of that. Um, and I'll quite often get hooked by Alice from DCA's uh, descriptions in the DCA movie guide. So last night I went to see a film called A Long Day's Journey Into the Night, Chinese, and just really surreal, just like crazy. I, I don't know if you've seen um, Parasite, but it was, yeah, it's amazing. You've got to check it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I definitely recommend Parasite. Um, I've been watching a couple of Australian crime shows. Might be interested in having on the back of your recent visits. Uh, one's called Jack Irish. And there's another one called uh, Rake. And they're just funny. Jack Irish isn't. But yeah, they're, they're really good. And again, if you've been to Australia and you can you recognise um, the streets, uh, it just, yeah, again, takes you back. You can see lots of wee skate spots in the background that I skated in the late 90s. So no doubt. Yeah. yeah. So and if, if anyone does want to find you or get in touch, yeah. how do they do that? Um, uh, yeah, so I, I use the handle Cleppington on uh, on Instagram, and um, when I first came to Dundee, I lived on Cleppie Roads, so that stems from um, or uh, through through Wild and Art, Neil at Wild and Art, or or hit up the UNESCO office. Um, that's where I'm, I'm uh, embedded <laughs> these days. So yeah, yeah, it's good. Cool. Well, thanks yeah. very much. No stoke. Thanks. Cheers. That was episode number 91. Thank you very much to Neil for coming on and uh, being a guest. I finally managed to get him in front of the mic. Um, and thank you uh, for tolerating our trainer's chat. Um, yeah, it was a little bit self-indulgent, but hey. But yeah, um, as I said at the start, I still need your questions. Um, I'll be asking for these for the next sort of four weeks or so, probably, because um, that big milestone episode number 99, uh, I'm going to do something a bit more, a bit different. And the format, but I need your questions. Um, so yeah, send in any of your questions. So it's at CCC Dundee and on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you're still using Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Um, you can send me them all through there. Um, if you don't already, then follow and yeah, find us on all good podcast platforms, give us a review, all that nonsense everyone says at the end. Well, not nonsense, but you know. Anyway, that's it for this week. I will catch you next week with another good guest. Um, Bye.